Today's episode is about a change that has come. Um, on this episode, we're going to talk about the change that has finally come. Last week was super emotional for most of us. We saw the first black and Asian woman get sworn in as the vice president of the United States of America, giving inspiration and hope to all little girls in our country and the transfer of power from one very controversial administration to another. Many Americans didn't vote for uh, the new administration, as you know, 74 million, I think, of them um, didn't. So that obviously brought pressure and uh, and and kind of a division to the United States uh, upon inauguration that we hadn't felt before. And at times, many of us felt homeless. I mean, homeless, hopeless. <laughs> some of us homeless. Uh, yeah, some hopeless. of us are homeless. Yeah, yeah hopeless. Sad and desperate um, for an administration and, and, and to be led by people who wanted compassion, respect and decency to return to the White House. Uh, we're going to go further into this and talk about this new administration and what we hope to see as we turn the corner on the last four unprecedented years into the next. Let's get into it. So in the Urban Dictionary, it was really change was a really weird uh definition. It actually had a lot of definitions in the Urban Dictionary that talked about actually Barack Obama and his whole campaign that talked about hope and change. Um, But finally, I landed on a couple things. One was that change is the only constant, that things will not remain the same. And that's what we know to be true. So change is the only constant constant that we can depend on. And then um, as far as like thinking about a change is going to come, I think for those that didn't vote for uh, or did vote for this administration, there was like a breath of fresh air that we felt a, a, a sense of relief. And so there was a song um, back in the 1960s that Sam Cooke had uh, wrote, which was called A Change Is Gonna Come. And it's a beautiful so- song in human history created by him. And um, one of the verses, which I felt was pretty relevant, was There's been times that I thought I couldn't last for long, but now I think I'm able to carry on. It's been a long time coming, but I know a change is going to come. Yes, it will. So, yes, it will. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to play a little bit of that song for you um, just so you can hear how beautiful it was um, um, right now. One of the things is, though, Akil, and I'm going to say this before we get into kind of talking about the VP and kind of how we felt there with the VP being sworn in. I know she's getting a lot of attention when a lot of the attention should also be on uh, President Biden, right? But it's getting a little overshadowed by the fact that we have a first that we've never seen. But um, when Sam Cooke wrote that song, there's actually a movie out that was uh, directed by Regina King right now called um, One Night in Miami. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. 
And it actually is a night where Malcolm X, uh, uh, John Lewis, uh, um, Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. and uh, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was Cassius Clay because he hadn't converted uh, to the Nation of Islam or Islam yet at that moment or had not announced his new name. Um, but they met in a hotel room. Um, so the story goes. And out of that, there was like a lot of discussions about the time. And at the time, there was, a, you know, uh, there was a lot of uprising about race at the time. And um, Sam Cooke then writes the songs shortly thereafter. And some of the discussion in the hotel room, as the story goes, was about really standing up for the Black experience and really doing something with the power that these four individuals had um, to make statements, not only about um, being able to break through and being able to have money in that time in history, but also making a statement about change that needed to come for uh, Black Americans. So I thought it was really kind of went hand in hand with kind of the theme of tonight's episode and just really thinking about the change that people I think are longing for that we really are hoping is going to come. And then obviously over the summer with seeing kind of the um, the cry for change, right? Within right. the black community. Yeah. I think, oh. uh, I think, you know, um, just a, as a point of correction, um, that was Jim Brown. And so we have oh, Jim, Jim Brown. Brown. Yeah. Malcolm X. I, I said John Lewis. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we, we got you. John Lewis on our mind. Um, yeah. But Jim Brown, uh, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Muhammad Ali, and uh, and you know those who know those characters know that each one of them, as Sia said, um, you know, hold a very dear um, place in our kind of revolutionary hearts when it comes to utilizing their platforms for the sake and for uh, the well-being of Black folks and and um, and pushing the movement forward. Um, you know, as athletes, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali were uh, two of the most, um, the strongest uh, in that area. And then, you know, we know Malcolm X and, you know, little known that was that Sam Cooke was so, um, you know, so involved. And so, you know, it's a really I think that one night in Miami is definitely a go to. Um, I think, you know, shout out to Regina King, who, you know, we were all introduced on 227 back in the day. And then, you know, and then 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 uh, Ice Cube's homegirl on Boys in the Hood. And, you know, she's done a million things since then. So, um, you know, just wanted to give her a shout out for her humble beginnings and doing what she's doing now. Um, we're talking about changes coming and the fact that, you know, we got we're seeing more and more. Um, you know, black directors and black writers and black, uh, you know, just filmmakers across the board. Um, and so this is uh, I'm glad you brought up this movie because I think that this is uh, just kind of a piece showing the era that we're in. And uh, and, you know, kind of is a great segue into what we're talking about with uh, with some of the new and the changes going on in our current administration. Yeah. And then I also want to give a shout out just because um, I, I happen to be close to uh, Muhammad Ali's family and a right. really good with uh, uh, some of his daughters. So um, just to be in awe of someone who had such um, strength and conviction um, to stand up for what they believed in, no matter what the consequences were, and really just being able to um, listen to some of the lessons, right, and, and kind of be that close into a circle um, and get to know him and his family and the influence that they had. But just just all the way around, I watched the movie today, 
Mm. That's why it's kind of funny that I said uh, John Lewis would I watch right. the movie just probably two hours ago, but uh, I was uh, doing a lot of things today. But let's talk about a little bit. I, I really want to give this moment over, um, you know, and, and it's so weird because I'm super emotional uh, at the inauguration. Um, I, I cried, actually. Yeah. I, I, it was a little overwhelming for me. Um, and I and I was thinking about in reflection like, why was I so um, emotional mm-hmm. about that moment? And it was, I think, a combination of many things. Um, one was the sense of relief that uh, it didn't go bad. It didn't go wrong. There was no real um, insurrection or any kind of right. to the behavior on the 6th. Right. Um, the other thing is I felt relief that um, normalcy was going to be restored in some kind of way and right. hope that we might be able to finally conquer the coronavirus in some kind of like um, um, effort that's actually across the board, something coordinated and standardized. Coordinated, yes. And based on exactly. Mm. I think that was relieving to me. And also um, because Kamala uh, Devi Harris uh, was sworn in as the 49th vice president. And a lot of people say, well, why is it 49? Because some administrations do get a second term. So um, the, 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 the swearing in of them are, is a different number than the actual mm-hmm. number of uh, where they fall in. You know, we, we called uh, President Trump 45, right? And Joe Biden's 46. So you would think that she would be the 46, but there's also vice presidents that didn't make it through the whole vice presidency. So that's the reason why she's 49. But let's talk a little bit about. And, I want to and get- before you move on there, there's also, you know, the other reason is that um, there are some vice presidents that became presidents. Right. Mm-hmm. Because of assassinations or or other, um, you know, impeachment or whatever it was. And so therefore that vice president needed a new vice president. And so that added to the number as well. So, yeah. So, um, but I want to give her her due respect because um, I think it was really emotional also because uh, she uh, is the first female vice president and the first female we've seen in the highest offices in the land. Um, it, it's kind of weird because if, if you know this fact to kill uh, the, the United States as a democracy is one of the last democracies to have a woman leader which is super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And women got the right to vote in about 1920. So um, we're now in 2021. And to have the first female leader in the highest types of offices is a a huge thing. Um, She was born in 1964 in Oakland, California. So I think, again, like because I have ties to Oakland, everybody was representing Mm -hmm. and being happy that she was from Oak, Oakland. Her father was of Jamaican descent and her mother was uh, Southeast Asian. <laughs> Southeast Asian, she's 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 from India. Right. And, um, and then as far as what she did prior to becoming the vice president, she was a, what they call a junior senator from tw- 2017 to 2020. And before that, she was the California Attorney General from 2011 to 2017. And then before that, she was the DA for Alameda County and then also the DA for San Francisco. Um, Many of those things were first for her. Um, So she was the first, I think, uh, um, 
DA for uh, San Francisco as an African-American. Um, and I think she was the second uh, African-American and I don't know what number Asian uh, senator from California. So it was, it, she's been breaking through all along, right? Um, and then for some of the country, which you guys may have noticed is that she went to undergrad at Howard University. University. Right. So that is a historically black college. Um, a lot of pride, and it's right there in um, D.C., right? Yep. So there was a lot of pride there. She um, also went to UC Hastings Law School, and that's in San Francisco. She is known for wearing um, kind of dressing down or being kind of cool in the way she dresses with her Converse and right. her pearls. In her right? Timberlands. Yep. Yes, in her Timberlands. So you see a lot of uh, ladies play, paying tribute to her for the way she dresses and paying tribute to her and respecting her by wearing their pearls and their converse, right? With their blazers. And the other thing is, is that she's an AKA, right? So I saw a lot of people posting and wearing their, um, I think it's green and pink, right? Yeah, pink and green. They're, they're, yeah. You got to say so it in the right order. Pink and green. Okay. So they were, they were representing. So a lot of pride I saw just all the way around. But for me, the biggest point that I felt is um, just being uh, somebody that has a legal background, somebody that is Asian and black, right? I felt mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of pride just in the fact that, um, and I think a lot of little girls felt like they could see themselves in her no matter what. Um, and one of the things I'm gonna bring up before I kind of go into what you thought, Akil, because I mean, obviously you're a male, but you still probably felt similar to what I, I feel about it and just pride about it. Um, one thing about uh, her, she's, she's, she's not uh, a timid female, right? She, she says what she thinks, she's going to hold you accountable. And she's kind of really put her thumb on uh, some of the slippy, slippery individuals that try to come before her uh, uh, in, in judicial hearings, right? She really will put the hammer uh, to you and not let you escape, just like a prosecutor, the question she's trying to ask. So I've always looked at her and was like, yes. And then she also doesn't, in a kind way, she doesn't allow other people to disrespect her or be show microaggression against her. So if everybody remembers when she was debating Mike Pence, he, he was talking over her and um, she basically I'm speaking. Was like, excuse me, I'm speaking in a nice way with a smile on her face. But she definitely Wait, was. But also in up. that. Yeah. She also had that like that look, you know, that that black woman look that, you know, uh, uh, are you really interrupting me? Are you crazy? Like something wrong with you? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for, <laughs> be very clear. Yeah. For women, I think a lot of times I'm and I think we'll have a whole nother. Um, uh Maybe episode. episode on this, but the thing is, is that there are slight microaggressions sometimes Absolutely. you feel from men in rooms that want to dismiss you or want to cast what you're saying aside, and they'll do things like that, like take credit for your ideas after you just said something, or basically talk over you or dismiss you in some kind of way where they, I don't even think honestly that they really realize that they're doing it. It's just part of their whatever way they view you or a woman, women in that situation, but you can see it. And to learn how to gracefully uh, address it is, is something I think that a lot of women struggle with. So I think in the moment where she was being sworn in, 
a lot of women could see themselves in her because they were feeling it and they were just feeling the fact that like it, she didn't have to timid herself down. She didn't have to be anything different than who she was. She didn't have to be somebody that was in the background or not powerful or not educated or whatever reason that you would think that somebody would want you to be a little less than she didn't have to be any of that. She could be her full self and still win. So it was really nice. I am. Um, I, yeah, I, I felt, first of all, I have, you know, I mean, as, as a brother in the first place um, is that she's a soror. So I was really excited to see AK in the, in the mix um, on that. The second thing for me is that I think that one of the things that from talking to a lot of women about the situation, besides the fact that she, you know, is incredibly accomplished and and has the capacity in every level to to hold the position. Um, we also know that there have been many, many, many women all the way back to Shirley Chisholm that mm-hmm. could have held that position, right? So, um, so I think that the relief or, or some of the the pride was that finally, you know, not 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 because you know we finally found one, the one yeah. that you know yeah. that, that could do it. Finally, you know, that we have her there, you know, and the fact that she is, you know, real people and, and, you know, kind of has walks with her, her swag and, and has her kind of, you know, and the fact that she's a bulldog when it comes to, she ain't backing down from nobody. You know, if you watch any of the Senate, um, the, the impeachment trial, if you watch any of the confirmations for the, for Mm -hmm. the, um, Supreme court justices, is if you watched any of that, you know, she don't, you know, she's not messing around. She's going to ask the hard questions. She's going to demand answers. And, you know, she knows how to, to kind of function through that. So, um, kind of like how I felt like, uh, with Barack Obama being the first black president, um, I felt like we could have had 10 or 12 black presidents, you know, or more before that, you know, but he was the right one at the right time. And I feel like she's the right one at the right time. Now, I think the other thing too, is that it broke that glass ceiling to where, you know, the next move is the president, you know? So, I mean, the next, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I like Biden and I want Biden to, you know, to, to be there and to do his, his job. I think he's incredibly important in this time. Um, but I do feel like if anything for it to happen, she could take the helm and we would be good, you know? So, um, so that's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge thing. Um, I have daughters. Um, I don't think that they fully grasp. I think my older daughter, who's, who's 16, I think she kind of grasped it, but I think this generation, they don't, they don't really, really know what it took to get here. And so I think that they, you know, they may have a glimpse of it and they, you know, you know, they've been, they've been out there fighting and they've been, you know, I've taken them to protest and they, but to really know what it took to get here today, um, you know, I think takes a lot. And so, um, so I'm going to feed it to them as they can in, in ways that they can digest it. And, um, but I think that there's a whole level of pride, obviously, that they feel just seeing a woman that looks like them. Um, you know, up on that stage doing a thing. And then, you know, to see the the kind of the just us being folks, you know, to see the fist bumps between Michelle and Kamala, you know, and to see, you know, just kind of the whole vibe that, you know, we back in the White House and the swag, the swag. Yeah, man, it's like, you know, I mean, from from head to toe. And and it's, you know, we walk the way we walk, we talk the, the Aaron way Jordan's. The move her I, her nephew was wearing, you know. The, you feel me? Like it's just it's a whole, you know, it's a whole whole new day. And so um yeah. so it's it's 
it's very exciting for a whole lot of reasons. And, um, you know, we'll get more into that into as we go into this conversation. So I like what you you did there earlier. You said uh, Shirley Chisholm. You know, uh, one thing I do like about Kamala is she realizes that she's standing on the shoulders of many, many women uh, in the moment that where where she got to. It wasn't all on her. It's just that she was the one that got to break through. So uh, Shirley Chisholm, uh, Geraldine Ferraro. Remember, she ran as a VP uh, candidate. Um, uh, We had Hillary Clinton, who actually won the popular vote, but didn't ever get to take office because she didn't win the electoral college vote, as you may know. And now uh, Kamala Harris, who gets to actually sit in that seat. Um, But I, I think it's really interesting even, and I think it's something we could delve deeper in in another episode, but even the path that had to go in order for her to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they thought putting Hillary in some, there's some debate whether or not, as you know, that Bernie Sanders in the year that Hillary Clinton got the the, nom- uh, the nomination, right, from the, the DNC, right. whether or not it should have been Bernie Sanders right. and whether or not they were trying to make sure that a woman got into office and they thought Hillary Clinton was the right person at the right time. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case, right? And so... What's interesting is that it is a woman of color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things I think that I always like to bring up, because I do run women in tech at, at the company I work for, the community um, content. One thing that I think is interesting when I'm talking about that is when a woman breaks through or a person of color breaks through, the interesting thing is we help to break the the barrier for everyone else, even white women, right? In this situation, right? A woman's now there. So you know that a woman can hold the office and as long as she does, and this is kind of the burden that most people of color feel at work every day, but as long as you do a good job, right? Right. Now broke the door open for someone to come uh, behind you, right? No matter what color that person is. So yeah. I think that you, yeah, and you, and you made, you know, and, 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 you know, we could talk about Kamala all day, but I, I know, um, just looking at, you know, looking at her a little bit and, and her background, I know that, you know, to be honest with you, um, I was, I, I really was skeptical. I mean, I felt like she did some things, you know, as attorney general in California that, you know, that was, um, counter to what I would, have hoped she would do as a black woman in that position, especially as it pertained to, um, you know, incarceration and, and mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I was telling someone else, uh, if you look at her record, you know, over the last nine years or so, you know, you look at her record in the Senate, you look at her record, um, you know, she she pushed the envelope and she, you know, and, and just her, you know, not being shying away from being first. I mean, she's, you know, she's the first woman uh, and first black woman to serve as attorney general in California. I think you mentioned that she's the first black woman from California to serve in the U S Senate, you know, second from any state. uh, If you think about um, Carol Mosley Braun and then she, you know, I mean, she's, and then the first obviously of Indian descent um, to be on a presidential ticket. So she's not, you know, she's not, um, foreign to being the first and, and putting, you know, herself forward, um, in those, in those capacities. So it's a really exciting time, like I said, and then, you know, and then just the whole, 
let's just talk about, and this may be a whole nother episode too, but <laughs> talk about just oh, no. the representation of the HBCUs, um, you know, and the fact that, like you said, she's from Howard, you know, uh, Warnock's from Morehouse, you know, Stacey Abrams from Spelman, you know, I mean, we, you know, we, we, you know, HBCUs are, are, are represented in politics these days. So it's, it's really good to see. Um, but why, uh, why wouldn't they, right? Because if you look back, even Thurgood Marshall came from an HBCU. So Martin Luther King, yeah, Martin Luther King, right? So it's not unusual that great leaders come out of these institutions. I think a lot of the times they don't get the credit. But right. I was just talking to a non-person of color the other day about this. He, they were saying to me, "Well, what's the biggest? What's the big deal about HBCUs?" And I was like, "Well, first of all." When we have segregations, we had to uh, make sure that we were able to educate our own people in our own institutions, right? And because of that, we created whole university systems, right, so that we could hold the same jobs, right, that anyone else could because you wouldn't allow us in your schools, right? And this is not the only plight for African-Americans, although HBCUs came out of Um, African-Americans, people of color attend HBCUs that are non-Black, right? But it it was a whole system that had to be created because of the exclusion. And white people attend them as well. That's true. Um, But but the thing is, is I think that, um, you know, the credibility of the HBCU has always been there. It's just that some people are new to the party, like realizing, uh, you know, and, and, and allowing it to be represented in a way where, it, you know, especially because Howard is in D.C., okay? Yeah. Howard is right there That's in the heart of D.C., right? And so, uh, as you saw in the parade, when um, the festivities were going on after the inauguration, uh, the marching band, right, was out in front of uh, Kamala and Dougie. But she represented all the way through. That's right. So, but I don't. I don't want to take away from Biden, right? So yeah. let, let's talk a little bit about um, Joe. Joe Tavar, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Robinette is his middle name, right? Did you yes. Did you catch that? I did catch yeah, that. So, so uh, Joseph Robinette Biden. Um, you know what? He's dedicated uh, most of his career to yes. public service, right? He, yeah. you know, has yes, and so you know he's no stranger to what he needs to do to get it done. Uh, He was eight years as a a VP, right? And now he's going to be four years, hopefully God willing, uh, as a president or maybe even eight years, right? Um, uh, Of being the president. Um, But he served in the, in the um, uh, Senate, right? Before. Um, And he just is, uh, to me, everybody is described as I've read all kinds of articles as just the nicest, more, most respectful, uh, person and he doesn't really tolerate poor behavior around him. He's not really open to that. So just a whole change in direction from what we just saw for the last four years. And a lot of the inauguration talked about uniting the country, right? He was really trying to make it that he would be the president for all people um, and really wanting to bring some immunity from the division that we've seen in, in, in the last four years. A lot of people feel that that division was caused as a direct uh, response to our first black president and just feeling um, that like part of the country, you know, was 
you know, in, in my opinion, part of the country was still racist, oh. right? And still not accepting that we had um, had a black president. And he did, he was a kind, thoughtful, uh, no kinder controversy mm-hmm. type of president that really tried to have compassion and love for all people, not just for his people, right? So anyways, um, but Mr. Biden, I think will do just fine. President Biden will do just fine. And like you said, I have uh, all confidence that if anything were to happen, that we'd be in good hands with Miss Harris as well. Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to bring up is Dougie. Yeah. You know, Dougie is the first second yes. gentleman yes. ever. Yes, yes. So how yeah. do you feel about that? What do you feel about that? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I can't say that I've done a lot of reading up on Dougie. I. I, I um. What I will say is that what I observe and what I observe in their interactions um, is that they one, he, he's he's got her back a thousand percent and that they really seem to adore and support each other. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's rushing the stage if Dougie's around. I don't think that anybody is, uh, you know, doing anything out of pocket if Dougie is around. Dougie probably got a little little something in his pocket just in case the Secret Service is not uh is sleeping on the job or something like that. But um, no, I, I, I think um, it'll be interesting to see how he plays his role as, as being the first of something and, um, and to see how he, how he moves around. But I, it, it seems to me that, um, you know, they have a real solid thing and she's, she's definitely got his support and he's got her back. And so um, I look forward to that, but I did want to say a couple things about Joe Biden. And I think that um, I think to your point, earlier one i think that he's the right president for this time um you know he he he, you know when you say that he was president or vice president for eight years yeah he was vice president but he was vice president to the first black president which was a different experience than if he was vice president to another white guy you know let's just keep it all the way a hundred and so i'm sure um from that experience it brought kind of a, a certain wisdom to him that um, that is fitting for this time right now and that he is able going, he's going to be able to leverage, um, you know, to to hopefully unify the country and, and get things, you know, get things thing. He also understands that he can't do it by himself, which, you know, I know we'll get into his cabinet picks and some of these other things in a few seconds. But, um, you know, if you look at what he's doing, he's putting real people who have real histories and real backgrounds in the areas that he's putting them in. You mean um, people who are qualified or yeah, going into qualified, not, not because oh. they, they, you know, are his golf buddies or because oh. they may be, they owe him something or because he's leveraging, you know, a, a future deal on them. Um, no, these are people who are career and, and know what they're doing. Um, the other thing is that, you know, we have an unprecedented number of women. We have on, uh, you know, there's some more first that we'll talk about. Um, you know, shout out to General Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, uh, first black secretary of defense. I mean, we got a lot of things going on. Um, and I think that Biden is, you know, in his wisdom, sees that that's important. One of the things that he said in his inauguration speech um, talked about unification, but he did call out white supremacy, which we have never heard to the, with that kind of passion from that level of government. Right. And so. Um, so, you know, that was one thing. The other thing that I, that I saw, um, uh, and you said something about him being kind and not, and no nonsense when it came to how you treat people. 
I heard him, you know, address his his uh, appointees, you know, in a meeting and basically told them, look, hey, anybody, if I see anybody or hear of anybody disrespecting each other or or, you know, people in general, you will be fired on the spot. And I think that, you know, him holding that kind of, um, you know, that that kind of feet to the fire type situation, I think is going to be really important because there's going to be people who are going to look to try and slip in little sly things. And there's going to be, you know, run over still from the Trump administration. There's some people in there who, you know, may have still been able to sneak into this new administration and still have some of those ideals. Um, and then finally, I was just going to say that, that, you know, he's in a time in his career. You spoke a little bit about his 40 year, you know, in the Senate and his, you know, eight years with a Barack and all. I mean, we're talking that's 48 years right there. By yeah, he's ran for president. He's ran for president several times. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so I think that the, the the timing of this couldn't be more perfect for him because he's had he's had he's done it all. He's yeah. done it all. So now he's in a position where, you know. I'm not, you know, he, he can go out with a bang so he can do some unprecedented revolutionary actions, you know, and put people in place and do some things that moves our whole kind of country forward, um, especially on the on the side of social issues and, and other issues like that, that someone who maybe is younger and is not, you know, who, who's looking for a future in politics might not be so brazen with. They may, you know, well, I'll try a couple little small things, but I'm not going to, that's too big, right? So nothing right now is too big, I don't think, for for him, and except for, you know, trying to get, get things, you know. Oh, we, we obviously, yeah, we, we obviously don't want to make this his closing act, but I do agree with you that, um, he has a little less to to lose in, in a poli- political game, right? If he makes a little bit more bolder actions, right? Um, he his career he's at the downswing of of the, his career, and so it's almost like what do you do? You know, when you see presidents about to leave office, they start signing all those computations and, and top of the mountain and pardons, right? So he's at he's 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 in a great position. Um, to do that, and I and I do like the the fact that you said that he probably has a little bit more awareness of uh, what what America actually is, and and the things that he's seen over his career that people of color, not just black people, have come against in this country. I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure he's seen it all. Um, but um, before we get into his cabinet picks, because I think it's super important for us to kind of highlight some of the ways he's changing things, because a lot of times we find that if you if you don't see it right? In someone, if you don't see that someone can be that, then you don't ever see yourself in that spot either, right? And so it's it's a huge deal to have women and uh, people of color and, you know, white people are always in these positions. So I don't think that they sit around and really think, could I ever be that? I'm sure they've had examples of that throughout their their lifetimes where I think what, what for our listeners that are white, what, what happens with people of color is that um, there are certain sections of occupations that we've seen ourselves be and we we strive to be because we've seen it before, right? And sometimes that, uh, you know, uh, we want to make sure that people of color see themselves so that they don't think that they can just be athletes or rappers or lawyers or doctors. Uh, you know, we want to see them in high CEO places so that they know business is an area that they really can break through the corporate 
ladder in the ceiling. We want to see them in um, high government positions because it's not just okay to have representation at one level, but not the highest level when the United States doesn't look like that, right? The United States looks, you, you want to see that. And that's why I think Kamala being both Asian and Black is, is a huge thing. And she doesn't deny, she doesn't, even though the world sees her as a Black woman, she doesn't ever take away from the fact that she has, you know, a Southeast Asian and an Indian background, right? And, and attributes a lot of her success to the way her mother raised her, right? And, and, and really gives honor because, you know, what was so beautiful is people in India were celebrating, right? right. Like Oops. along with people in America yep. that, that, um, they can see themselves if they were to immigrate here, you know, if they were, you know, they can see themselves in positions and doing things. So all of it has a trickle down effect, That's super right. big. But I want to kind of hit on a couple of other things at the inauguration. And then I think we need to get into Biden, Biden's uh, stuff. First of all, Michelle Obama, Killed her me. fashion was, I mean, her, like swag, her hair, her belt. Her mob jacket, her her turtleneck, I mean, her boots. I mean, I just was like, yeah. girl, you are doing. And then to be a, a, alongside President Obama, who just looks so good with his full length uh, yeah. coat. And I mean, I just was like, oh, my goodness. It, and, and then the energy they brought in. And let me just say Come on. that what is so interesting to me is that her relationship with the Bushes, it's so cool to see, right? Because that's a Republican president and a Democratic president, and they find each other. Like, they go looking for each other so they can get, you know, a little chum time, you know, going on. And he just loves himself some Michelle. Man, gotta have it. He he makes sure. uh, And there was, you know, we did an episode on memes the other day, and, um, and I've seen so many memes about the fact that that uh, you know, I don't care where Michelle is in the building. George Dub is gonna go find him some Michelle and get a few minutes of Michelle time. So it's very cool. But I I think that that's you know that's kind of been our example. One people just want to be around those two. I mean, I think that their energy and their you know level of intelligence and just their whole kind of vibe is you know makes you just want to you know rub a shoulder against them or or you know talk to them for five minutes and just get a little bit of that you know what they have. Um, they have a pretty magical thing. Um, but yeah, but just yeah. The, yeah, but just the, just the, I mean, because you know it's a little different kind of love, obviously. But you know, I mean. All the ex-presidents, living ex-presidents, with the exception of of Jimmy Carter, um, who actually was on that Monday building houses with Habitat for Humanity. I know. Uh, You know, but he couldn't make it to the inauguration because he wasn't feeling well. But um, all of the ex-presidents that are living um, and their wives were there except for one. Right. So all the ex-presidents, with the exception of Carter, as I I was saying, um, was there except for one. And so that, you know, that. There was a huge elephant in the room, and I and I almost mean that literally, talking about our our last president, but um, <laughs> or not an elephant in the room, or an elephant not in the room. Um, but the fact was that you know, I mean, they you know that just showed you uh, the, kind of the lack of class and the lack of decorum that um, that that administration and that president and his uh, whole kind of cadre has um and and the respect for the role you know we didn't we never saw the level of respect for the role that these presidents and our current president 
um, has for the for the level of presidency and, and representation of the United States. So talking about the elephant in the room, let's talk a little bit about who was there, and that was Mike Pence. Um, so he was president at the inauguration, uh, and he filled in for uh, the Trump administration. And so a lot of people had a lot of feelings about that. Um, and I think that um, he was aware that he needed to be decent and show up um, show up at the inauguration. So, you know, he's younger. And so he, he's, he, he was a public servant before he was vice president. Right. And I think he wants a future career in politics. That's what he does. He wasn't a, a real estate tycoon that, um, or alleged tycoon that came into being, this was just a hobby or something to do this, right. you know, that's, right. this is his actual career. Also, I think there's a level of decency that he has that I think, um, he, I don't think he was, I think he's going to write a book later with his mm. perspective of what exactly was, it was like. To be yeah. Right. From his perspective. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll realize what I think is already kind of evident, but, but who knows? The yeah, other I think thing you, is, I think you give, I think you, I, I, you know, you and I will go back and forth on this. Um, I'm not as liberal that, as you. But I, I um, you're not, but, but not even that. I think that, I think that you give, um, you give Mr. Pence, uh, a lot more uh, credence than I think he deserves. I think that, yes, I do agree with you that he he was on the Trump train and that shit was out of control and he couldn't get off and he was probably hanging from the side like, somebody please send him messages, somebody please come get me off of this thing. But at the same time, he was also very complicit in in keeping the Trump message going and letting ah. and, and keeping the lie about COVID and keeping a lie about all this other stuff going all the way up to the election stuff, even up to the point that he didn't um, that that they were coming for his head on and and coming to get him on January 6th, all the way up to the day before that happened. He was. I I don't I don't but I don't agree. I think that, first of all, I think there are certain types of vice presidents. There are some that are more active because the president allows them to be. And there are some that are. Uh, you can see it throughout history if you go back historically to look at the roles that vice presidents have had. And there are some that have effectively no power at all. I, I do not think that Pence in an irrational room had a lot of power from what you can hear from Fauci and even what is that lady named Deborah Bricks? Yeah. Burke Bur- is her name? Bur- Bricks. She, I mean, they're all coming out and basically saying that they had like, and I'm sure they're doing it to save face in a way, but I don't think Fauci is really, I think they try to silence him. And I don't think with the vicious attacks, the way that Trump liked to do it and how everybody kind of ran along with it. I think what you saw was people who were spineless showed that they were spineless. So anyways, we're going on a tangent because we haven't even gotten to the cabinet positions. What I wanted to kind of go over is that the, there was a poet and the youngest poet that ever read uh, anything at any inauguration. Her name was Amanda Gorman. And wow. she she's an activist as well. And she focuses on oppression, feminism, race, and marginalization. Uh, she was 22. And she read a poem called The Hill We Climb at the inauguration that has put her on the map. I mean, to the point where she, I think she was featured on every probably TV show, on influencers pages, all kinds of things. And she basically um, 
had a great speech and I um, wanted us to listen to a little bit of it. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. So now that we've listened to that, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, let's get down to like, what did you think of her as a poet? What did you think of her poem? And and what what, what were you thinking as you were watching it? Um, first of all, I was, you know, when you talked about kind of the whole inauguration and and you know the the power of it and the and the feeling and and everything that we experienced um going through it, that was my favorite part. That was that I that was my favorite part beyond the the singers, beyond even the vice president and 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 president's um words. It was her poem and it was to me the representation of the new time that we are we are heading towards. And so um, you know, I, I'm a fan. I had never heard of her before that day, um, like many people. Um, but I have been checking into her and I, you know, it's I felt the spirit of Maya Angelou in her. Yeah. And I yes. felt like he was, you know, I, I you know, I, I close my eyes and see, you know, all the times that I've I've, you know, watched um you know, Maya Angelou uh, do her thing. And I felt like this girl, you know, uh, this woman, I should say, this young woman, 22 years old, was had had, you know, wisdom beyond her years, had, you know, a, a certain gravitas and her shoulders back and her chest out and her smile and her whole style was beautiful. And, and you know, I just felt like she was she was a mix between Maya Angelou and Nikki Giovanni and, you know, some of the other, you know, maybe a little bit of James Baldwin, but she was, you know, she was, she's the real deal. And, um, and I hope to hear and see so much more um, from her. I want to make sure that we all uh, protect her um, because, you know, when, when, when our youth uh, speak out, especially in the activist role, um, sometimes they're in danger. So I want to make sure that she's protected. I want to make sure that she has the opportunity and the platform to do this a million more times. And that um, I hope that, you know, the youngsters out there who may or may not be listening to um, this podcast, or at least the parents can tell their youngsters, hey, follow this young lady, because I think that she's going to be something wonderful, something great. But she was the best, to me, the best of the whole inauguration uh, for me. Yeah, she was she was fabulous. Just really wise beyond her years, witty, uh, the way she used the poetry to connect ideas from the past to the to what's happening currently and what the future looked like, I thought was super, uh, just so smart. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed her poem. Um, I listened to it again today. And so we hope you enjoy the little excerpt that, that we played. Um, so, uh, JLo also, uh, saying, right. This man, um, was made for you and me. And she threw in a little, uh, Spanish in there and let's get loud in there. Um, so, and then we had Lady Gaga that also, uh, she looked like um, something out of uh, Hunger uh, Games. Hunger Games, right? With her yeah. Mockingjay on her yeah. on her lapel. Um, but yeah. it just was a very different inauguration, kind of more mm-hmm. young and hip than what yeah. I've seen in the past. It made it delightful to watch. And then and they balanced Grace. it out with Garth Brooks, you know, Garth yeah, Brooks. Yeah, they had Garth Brooks. Yes, they did. And so I thought it was like a little bit of everything kind of 
uh, you know, putting everything together. But let's talk a little bit. Let's get a little serious right now, although I really enjoyed that. And um, yes. let's talk a little bit about who Biden has, con- well, is trying to get confirmed and has picked as appointees for many of the powerful cabinet positions um, that have been vacated uh, by uh, the previous administration's um, position. So uh, Biden is uh, going to be able to nominate, hopefully, uh, and get confirmed, because obviously they're going through the process right now, more women and people of color than any other cabinet in U.S. history. Um, There has been some blowback on his picks that are not diverse enough. Some critics are pointing the differences between leadership roles and true executive roles, saying that the people of color are not in the full cabinet positions, right? They're more in the executive positions. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, what's interesting, though, before I go into this, and we really go into this, I got to say this to people of color, when we break through a glass ceiling, we're always like, criticizing the person that is doing their best to to get us in there. I understand that because you're like, it's about time. You should do more for us. We're the ones that got you here. But in a way, I I think everybody has to calm down on that. Like it's like, I feel like we're sideline bullies of every little decision that anyone makes and we're never quite satisfied with it. And it's, it seems like, I don't know. It's a lot of like, um, it's like a lot of peanut gallery that doesn't know anything about the process, right? That always has an opinion. Yes, we had an opinion about the past uh, administration's positions, but they were all white, right? They were all white yeah. people, right? And they most well, some of them didn't. Yeah, and most of them didn't even have a background in in what he appointed them for, as far as the head of a cabinet. But so, which is a you know, it seems like Biden's being thoughtful about who he's predicting. Picking some of them are um, uh, folks that had served under the Obama administration that are returning, but I just I just want everybody to calm down. Yes, you can be a critic, but calm it down. Be a little think, bit more appreciative, a little bit more humble. And if you don't know anything about what you're talking about, like I think it's best to shut your mouth. That's just how I really feel about it because it's like people always want to say, "This, do you know anything about the Department of Defense? Do you know anything about the?" the you know transportation secretary do you know anything about what they do in a day-to-day but you want to want you want it to be a person of color but if they're not qualified or they're not the right person who are you to judge because you don't even know what they do well i you that's know, my opinion yeah no and i and i respect your opinion and that's why we're uh such great friends because uh i don't agree we don't agree all the time but my my so you know, kind of a counter thought to what you're saying is that I do understand, um, you know, many of our uh, positions as it comes to that and why people are. We've been here for 400 years. Right. We have been. And so when we're talking about where we are today and the impatience that people have. I think that it's OK to be impatient. I think you got to garner and, and leverage that impatience, though, to, like you say, get educated on the on the subject, to put yourselves in positions to to get into those roles. Um, but, you know, literally, we could fill this entire cabinet with black people and they would all be qualified. But, this, but the United States is not made of all it's black not, people. It's not. It's not. But I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, we, we have to I think we have to be careful when we're saying, you know, well, let's just be happy with what we got because we shouldn't be. No, um, no, no. that's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying that people like to speak out when they're not educated about what they're talking about and they want to make criticism. That's number one. And number two, we have a lack of black leaders here yeah. in the United States because of whatever we've seen in the past. Right. And we don't we, we have some of them, but and they're emerging. Right. But for for us to point the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So I want to know when you want to criticize what somebody's picking whether or not you even have to step up and do anything for the movement, or you just want to sit on the sidelines and, and judge. Right, 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 right. And I'm, and I think I'm speaking more towards the non um, uh, couch quarterbacks or armchair quarterbacks that you're talking about. Welcome back to the Cogent Code podcast. Uh, we're getting ready to dive into part two of a change is going to come where we talk about the new administration and what we uh, expect, what we hope to see and uh, what it'll be. So I was less talking about the quarterback, uh, the the armchair quarterbacks that you're talking about. I think that you're right that there's a whole peanut gallery and there's a whole bunch of people out there that um, are are less informed but still want to see you know everything. That's why people are still mad at Obama and mad at not not realizing that he only had so much time and so much power to do so much in the in the time that he was there. And I think that um, you know so people do have a, a little bit of false sense of what's supposed to happen. But I will say that, you know, as I said a minute ago, we could literally um, fill this entire cabinet with more than qualified people. But And and that's been some of the frustration. One thing that I think will happen this time, um, if we've learned our lessons from the Obama administration, was that we got, you know, he was elected and then everybody kind of went to sleep like, OK, we did our job. We got a black president in there. Now let's let him do his thing. And he's supposed to do all this stuff where we kind of fell asleep. And so I think that this time um, we are no longer going to fall asleep. And I think that yeah. we will have some, some uh, you know, we we will have we will see more representation as we move forward. But, yes, to your point, before you jump into the you know, the mixed bag that America is, I do understand that it should be diverse. I don't think that it should be one party fully. I don't think that it should be one people fully. I think that there needs to be, um, you know, diversity needs to be diversity, right? But it needs to represent the country that it represents. That's, that's what I think it needs to be at the very least. And then we also know that it's been a country that has not represented but, that but diversity. You know, and it's been that side, that kind of country for since we known. But I'm going to tell you this. If we in this moment mm-hmm. do and try to go all the way in the opposite direction, the division in this country is going to get worse. Yeah. It is not you. Can, it's we're not in a moment where we can be raising our, our fists up and wanting it to be all revolutionary. We're not there right now. We we could get there. But before you get there, this response that we saw in this insurrection is a response to having the first black president and how far he moved the marker forward. And to your point a second ago, we just said that um, people didn't think that was far enough. Right. 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 Then you also, uh, you know, back when I was going to San Francisco State, which was, I don't know, what, 1996-ish? I don't know. I read a book in Black history, back Black Studies, African-American Studies, that said it was, we have no Black leaders. The book, that's what it is. It's in my garage right now. Right. And it talked about how ever since the 1960s, right, that Black leadership was at an all-time low, right, because of the, the all of the, the, the leaders that got killed. Mm-hmm. and assassinated for their beliefs. Now, do I think we have black leaders? Yes, I do. 
I think we have emerging black leaders. I think we're seeing a new emergence mm-hmm. of people that are getting a little bit more uh, comfortable and not standing for it anymore. I think we did, though, have a lull of complacency where we ended up getting a little bit of something. And then everybody just thought, hey, we're heading we in the right it. direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So do I think that, you know, being a little bit more far to the left can happen at some point? Yes. But you've got to you can't we're this is not the moment. This moment right now is not the moment. Maybe in a year or two, once we get past this, right now there's a lot of chaos, a lot of fear, a lot of stuff going on, and the pandemic is exacerbating it. So I don't think right now is the moment. And I don't believe that the cabinet should be all people of color. I don't. Well, I, I, think- I mean, and I, and I agree. I mean, I agree that there should be balance. Um, what I will say, though, is that, um, you know, I think messaging is important. And I think that when we talk about uh, the polarization of people and, and ideas, you know, I think that it's it's done intentionally to talk about the left versus the right and the liberals versus the conservatives, when really it should be really about right and wrong and and what, you know, moves the moves people forward. Because really, if you think about it, some a lot of those insurrectionists, the stuff that they complain about, they're on Obamacare right now. They're on, you know, they're on, on, they're receiving, you know, benefits from, from things that happened in, in the Obama administration, things that happened in administrations all the way back. And so, and, and even some of the things that, you know, and, and we also been, benefit from some of the things that happened in the Trump administration, if we want to be completely fair. So I think that it's a, I think that it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it, it, it's part of the game for there to be this whole kind of dichotomy about, you know, you're either right or you're left or you're, you know, I mean, you know, blue or red or, or a horse, I mean, a, a, a donkey or a elephant or whatever these things are. And I think that that's where the mistake is. But, um, but yes, I'm, I'm actually excited about what I see in the cabinet. Um, the fact that well, it's, let's the, talk about uh, him. Let's talk about him. Yes. So you said that we had the first African-American uh, nominee for for defense secretary, and he was and he was confirmed. confirmed he he right? just got confirmed. Yes, his his name is Lloyd Austin. Um, yep. he's a retired Army general, and 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 so that's pretty cool. So obviously yep. he's he's got a background in what he what the cabinet position that he's holding, right? Yeah. Uh, Javier uh, Versera. Uh, he's the nominee for the Health and Human Services. He didn't get confirmed yet, right? No, not yet. Okay, so obviously he's of Hispanic descent, right? He's currently the California Attorney General. Uh, General, he took over for Kamala after she left. Okay. Um, but let's go back first before you you jump ahead. Um, okay. Secretary of the Interior is uh, Deb Holland. I'm, I'm forgive me if I'm not saying her her last name correctly, but she's the first Native American Cabinet Secretary. Um, if confirmed by the Senate, which I think that she will be. Um, and she was elected as one of the two first female Native Americans in Congress. And so and that and she made history in 2018 with that. And I think that the the, the key that I, we want to say about her particular role, and I know we don't have time to go through every single one, but her particular role is that being secretary of the interior has a lot to do with 
um, the pipelines that go through Native American lands that that they fought, you know, indigenous people have fought against all these other things. So the interior um, handles all that kind of stuff. And so for her to be in that position is huge. Um, so, yeah, Deb. Yeah. One thing we'll get to his executive orders in a second, because I think it ties nicely right. into that. But I just wanted to go a little fast in, in this. Okay. So we have Anthony Blinken. He is the nominee nominee for the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the Deputy Secretary of State during President Barack Obama's administration. So obviously he has um, some experience. We have Pete Buttigieg, good old Mayor Pete. Yeah, Mayor right? Pete, yeah. He's the nominee for the Secretary of Transportation. Yeah. Um, Merrick Garland, get- Attorney General, yeah. Attorney General. Which you know, the, if those who don't know the story behind Merrick Garland is that the the uh, Senate Republicans blocked him when Obama uh, nominated him for um, Supreme Court Justice, and so now- died. Yeah. That's right. So now he's a t- he's looking at an attorney general slot. Go ahead. Sorry. Mikel Cardona, who is the nominee for secretary of education. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the Connecticut public schools commissioner and former elementary school teacher. So obviously has a background in education. Uh, Marcia Fudge, right? Yep. Is Marcia? Yep. Is Marcia. Mm-hmm. Marcia. Okay. And she's a Democrat who represented Cleveland and Akron and other parts of the Northeast Ohio for decades. So she has uh, background. We've talked about Merrick Garland, Jennifer Granholm as for the nom- nominee for Secretary of Energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a former Michigan governor, governor, um, and the first woman to be in this role as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's um, she's backed a lot of policies for renewable energy, so her background is in renewable energies. Um, you talked about Deb um, Alejandro. Mayor Mayorkas. Okay. He is the nominee for Secretary of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. He served as the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security and the US of US Customs and Immigration Services during the Obama administration. So he obviously has been there before. First Latino and first immigrant to be placed in that role. Mm-hmm. Then you have nominee for Secretary of Veteran Affairs, Dennis. Uh, McDonough. Yeah, McDonough. He is. Uh, he served as uh, the national security roles in the in uh, Obama's administration in 2013 to 2017. Uh, Gina Ram Ram Ramdo Ram Ramanda. Ramanda. Okay, I'm butchering their We're names. Sorry. Gina. Gina. Good old Gina. There, she's a. She's for the nominee nominee for Secretary of Commerce. Um, And then she has a background in venture capital and economics. Yeah, and she was the first governor of Rhode Island, the first woman governor of Rhode Island. Uh, We have Tom Vilsack, nominee Mm -hmm. for Secretary of Agriculture. He... um, He he led the Department of Agriculture... um, before, mm-hmm. uh huh. Marty Walsh for nominee for Secretary of Labor. Um, he obviously uh, he was the first. He was a union worker. He has a deep history with the labor unions. So yes, department. Yes. He's Boston from Boston. And then Janet Yellen. She obviously is the. She's the first women Treasury Secretary 
um, in the 231 year history. So she's making history here. Um, She served under the Clinton administration for the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Bank. um, And she's a veteran economic policymaker. So very seasoned there. Um, nominee nominee for the director of central intelligence is William Burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and he had a background in. Uh, he was an ambassador to Russia and Jordan, and he worked as the de- de- deputy secretary of state. Um, and then another one that's not. Let's just talk about the women. Isabel Guzman. She's the small business administration administrator. Yep. Uh, Arvel Haynes, she's the, for the director of national intelligence, which is a big one, right? Huge. Yep. Uh, she was she during the Obama administration. She was a deputy national security advisor and the deputy CIA director. So obviously very, um, very seasoned there. Yep. Catherine uh, Tay, she is current currently she's the chief attorney focused on trade policy for the. House Ways and Means Committee, mm-hmm. and she is up for being the tr- United trade States trade. trade. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Nira Taden. She is for a director of White House Office of Management and Budget. Yep. Uh, um, she helped draft the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, she helped to draft the uh, Affordable Care Act. Yeah, and she's the first yeah. South Asian American to become director of office, OMB, they call it, in government. Um, then we have Linda Thomas Greenfield, who is the UN ambassador. Um, she has a 35 year career in U.S. foreign services. Um, she served several posts in the Obama administration. Um, and she's, you know, she's, she's, she's super, she served as, as ambassador to Liberia, uh, Switzerland, Pakistan, Kenya, the Gambia, uh, Nigeria and Jamaica. So well, well, um, experienced, very experienced. So, so yeah, no, we, it's, it's, a you know, from the, from the cabinet to the cabinet level positions and those director positions, um, very diverse. And, and, you know, we don't want to leave everybody out, anybody else out. Um, I think you mentioned Robert or Ron Klain, who will be uh, chief of staff for Biden. He's already been confirmed. Um, and I, I think, I, yeah, I think I might have left maybe one other person out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I think you did a great job here. So we got I was the, trying to go really, really fast. Right, right, right. No, you got it. You got it. Eric Lander, I think, is the only <clears throat> no two more. I'm sorry. John Kerry, who we all know um, and his work with the climate um, with climate. He is the special presidential envoy for climate. And as you know, one of the and I know you, you were going to get into it, but one of the executive orders that Biden uh, signed on his first day was to re-enter the United States into the Paris Climate Accord. So um, John Kerry is going to be very much involved with that. And then last but not least is Eric Lander, who is the presidential science advisor. And, you know, Biden is very much about uh, science and he also wants to make sure that science drives our COVID-19 response uh, from the federal level. So um, so that's, uh, that's our new cabinet and we will, most of them, we'll see how many get, uh, confirmed and, and what happens with that. But, um, those are at least the, the president's picks. All right. So just really diverse. And uh, what I'm happy about is that they all seem to have, um, some experience in the roles that they're filling. And it wasn't just, you know, 
arbitrary. And so it, it, it helps first their staff to have a uh, uh, respect, right, for the orders or for the things that come down in the in, in their uh, individual administrations, right, yeah. um, for them to know that the person has a background or can understand um, from many different aspects, not just be briefed on something and have to make a, a split decision on that. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden kicked off his first days, as you, you talked about, with more than 19 executive orders in the first three days. Right. Um, why do you think he did that? I think he, he was ready to get to work. First of all, we know that the, that the previous administration um, it stalled and and obstructed and did all they could to to make the, um, you know, the initial um, transition, um, you know, as tough as possible. So, you know, I think that there were there were even a couple weeks before Biden even started getting um, security, uh, you know, national defense uh, briefings and those kind of things. And so um, so I think that they were ready. I think the team was ready. And I think that, you know, he already had he already knew what he wanted to do coming in the door. I understand that his plan was, you know, very shortly after inauguration to get in the office, which he did and get busy. And so, you know, I think his his and and, and uh, Vice President Harris's uh, aim is let's get to work. Their whole theme was let's get to work. So um, so I think that that's why he did it. And I also think that these are these are um, symbolically um, the ones that he chose to do on day one were um, part of that kind of unifying push and also to uh, to kind of reverse the most egregious things. I think that that Trump put into play um, through executive order in his in his uh, time there. So so one of the major ones he signed also was uh, reversing the drilling in the Keystone pipeline. Right. Which was the first time that anybody, any administration, the Trump uh, administration had approved the drilling there. And so he reversed that, I think, on day one. So that was one of the major ones he signed, um, which is really important because it it does go through uh, uh, native lands and it could have a, a detrimental effect on the environment and um, animals and other um other living things that live along where they were going to potentially drill. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, very important, but executive orders uh, really, you know, have come about in a little bit more recently um, where more and more of them we see are being signed. A, a lot of times it's because um, legislation and things that administrations want to do at the executive level, it fails uh, at the um, Congress or the, uh, the legislative level from being able to, it's like a stalemate or they can't make decisions. So executive orders um, sometimes are put into place as a way to push an initiative forward. Um, but they, they don't have staying power in some cases and they do require um, legislation in, in some cases to follow. Right. Well, it's unfortunate because, uh, because, you know, uh, executive order is an executive order. And like you said, that means that the, you know, whoever the president is, the next president can wipe out all the executive orders that the previous president and those things that that need to stick need to go through the process through Congress and, and through the legislative branch to actually become law where they can't just be wiped away with an executive order. So you're absolutely right there. Okay, so um, let's let's just talk about this briefly because I think this is a diversity podcast, so it's not all about the just the, peop- the black people. So let's just um, talk a little bit about what do you think that Central Americans and immigrant populations hope to see um, happen under this administration? 
Well, I think that they hope to see America be what America's promise was um, back in the Ellis Island days. And, and when, you know, droves and droves and droves of Europeans and people from other uh, parts of the world were welcomed. You know, um, America has, as always, um, called itself or look, been looked at um, kind of broadly as the the shining light on the heel and the you know and the place to go where for opportunity and and all these things and and a better life and and you know uh, a melting pot and so I think that they and those from other countries um, European countries included um, are hoping to see a a better immigration policy that welcomes uh, people from other places and also puts into play a you know, a program that allows them to gain citizenship um, with less cost than it is now and with less uh, kind of roadblocks and red flags and red lines and all the things that that, you know, causes it to be seven, 10, 12 years to become a citizen, you know, um, because during that time you could be deported, obviously. Right. So. So I think that that's what they're looking for. I think that they're looking for, you know, a chance to legally do yeah what they want to what they want to do to bring their families here i do think that uh, central americans also since there's still uh over 500 children that are separated from their parents um under the last administration's policies um and cannot locate their parents i think they're going to have a big push in to try to figure out how to locate the parents of the separated children the best they can. And also um, they're dedicated to finding a path for DACA um, and and the dreamers right um, here in the United States to have a path to citizenship as and a legitimate path. Um, I'm really hoping that with the um, Senate being 50, 50 and um, vice president being the tiebreaker that some not, I hope it's not 50-50 and she has to tie break, but I do hope that we see more um, cooler heads prevailing and yes. not such so much pressure because I think that uh, the country needs the politicians to show that they can compromise because if they don't show it, then you can't look back and say, why is this going on right in America? It's going on in America because you're digging your heels in sometimes about probably real issues, but a lot of times probably about issues because you're not getting your way on something else. And maybe you, you just need to compromise more because if you don't, I think we're sending a bigger message and we're going to continue to see the kind of division that we see. So we've got to find a way to um, make these compromises. Um, I do have a question though, and this is going to probably go super, get you super hot though. Mm-hmm. Um, will this make the gap in disparity by the Trump supporters even wider if uh, they address immigration in the ways that we're suggesting. Well, I think it already, I, I think it already, ha- ha- I think it already has. Um, and to answer the question just as a yes or no, I say yes. Um, and that's, and it's unfortunate, but I think that the reason for that is because they've been lied to. I think that they're, you know, I think that, that all the kind of propaganda that we know about, about people. Just think about, you know, when you bring Trump into that conversation and his supporters and how he garnered his supporters and how he started his whole thing, he came down those escalators in 2015 and said that Mexicans were rapists and drug dealers off the jump. So we knew exactly 
what kind of division he was trying to create and and fires he was trying to stoke. So I think that, you know, that built up over the time. And I think that, yes, I think that people, because they are uneducated or not informed or are so stuck in in kind of that messaging and that lie that I think that unfortunately, no matter what comes out, they're going to be against it because it's coming out from the left, so to speak. It's coming out from, you know, generally the Democratic side of the uh, of the aisle. And they think that, you know, they believe the that that the Democrats want open borders and they just agree that all of these things, which are, is not true. I mean, I think that, you know, all of us want to uh, I'm incredibly liberal and I'm incredibly progressive, but. I think that we have to, as a nation, we have to protect our borders. But I think it has to be equally, you know, uh, uh, equally done. I think it has to be done equally, I should say. You know, so if you're talking about if you're talking about deporting everybody from, you know, uh, that has a expired visa. Well, that includes Europeans. That includes you know, everybody on that list. And so what happens here is that the whole immigration argument and the whole immigration topic becomes uh, color based. It becomes brown and black people only is the target. And so unfortunately, I think that um, to your question, yes, I think that it's going to make the, the gap even wider. And I think that until people start to see, um, you know, what that means, um, you know, I think it's just going to that it's going to continue that way, unfortunately. Um, well, I think one, uh, obviously, we've said before, I'm a daughter of first generation. That's uh, right. American um, from my mother's side. Um, I think that I get very disappointed to see. And and again, my mom is an American citizen now, but I get di- very disappointed to see that this country uh the way that they limit immigration when everybody is a product of an immigrant here in this country at some point, except for slaves, which I don't consider them immigrants. I consider them um, kidnapped. Right. And so those are the only, the only group of people that I think that if they want to say something about immigration, then so be it. But, but I, but I do think that other people need to realize that you're a product of somebody who got an opportunity to immigrate here. So do I think that in, including on what I thought was so disappointing about Trump is including two of his ex-wives, right? Yes. There were immigrants from other countries and his kids are products of, um, you know, of them being immigrants as first generation, not even second or third generation. Two of his wives immigrated to the U.S. and were not United States citizens when they got here, which makes it even more uh concerning right um yes. because his kids wouldn't be here but for except for um the one daughter by marla maples um everybody else is is a product of immigration right yes. a product of a first generation and so uh, just a problem to me in the way that people see this because the united states didn't have it had native americans here and some argue that there could have been some blacks here going back to other books and other things but but the, the, the point is yes so the point is is that it's just not everyone immigrated so yes do i think there should be rules to immigration of course but for people to stand on their laurels and be like you can't come into this country this is my country go back to your country yes. it's just super crazy to me it's a super crazy argument i want to be like 
you go back to your country. <laughs> yeah. Like where's where's your country of origin, right? Do you need to go back to Britain, Europe? I mean, right. where do you need to go? So, and then for me, like you were talking about the, another topic earlier, it's like if you are an one of your parents was an immigrant from one country and your other parent probably was from another country and you got some white in here, where are you going to send me? Right. We're going to send you, you know, right, what I'm saying? like right, you didn't right. send me back to what country could you exactly send me back to? I'm yeah. I'm really going to be wondering about that. So you, and also around the seas <laughs> I mean, going from South America to Africa and some right. Europe, European. Right. So it's just I just don't think that it, it's it's the argument. That's like a it's just it needs to be a dead argument. Um, the other thing is, yes, do we need to protect our borders? Of course. But right now in covid. Some countries that have lower COVID uh, rates than the U.S. need to protect them from us. And they are. <laughs> You're exactly right. And they are. That I've seen. I've seen travel bans put up from other countries that say that United States citizens cannot come there without okay. you know, without a, a, a negative COVID test or without taking the vaccine or whatever their you know the stipulations are. But yeah, I mean it. You know, there's. It was interesting during this whole COVID thing to see other countries be like, nope. You can't come here, you know, and and, you know, rightfully so, you know, so I, I it works both ways. So, yeah, no, I, I think um, I think it's going to be interesting. I think I think we will, you know, every day is going to be uh, something to watch, although I know you don't watch the news and you stay away from from all that kind of stuff. But I think that I read, though. I read it. You do read. Um, and so I, I think that there's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, and. I think one thing that I've heard, and I said this a little bit earlier, um, that's different now is that I think we learned from some of the 2008 and and some of the you know some of the the Obama era um, as far as activity and activism uh, and actually just work that people uh, you know see needs to be done. Um, I just saw Jamie Harrison talk, who's now the DNC chair, um, talk the other day, and one of the things he was saying was that the you know. We're not we're not resting. You know, we're not resting. We're going to um, continue forward and push, you know, an agenda that um, hopefully unifies the country and really continues to put people uh, in play. I think one thing that we saw was that um, the votes do matter and and on all on all sides, um, the votes do matter. I mean, let's not you know, we talk about the unprecedented historic uh, 80 million votes that um, that Biden got that no one's ever done before. But, um, you know, right behind him was the 74 million votes that that Trump got. So, you know, people are active in in politics and paying attention to politics or at least voting like never before. So it'll be very interesting what happens in 2022 and, you know, on, on the congressional side and, and what happens in 20, um, you know, was it 2026, 2020? What's four years from now? It's 2021 right now, but he was elected in 2020, 2020 so yeah. 2024. So okay, there we go. In 2028, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But but anyways, uh, I agree with you. I I think that that we're going to see a decline in voting. Actually, again, I think if people think, think so. under the Biden administration that everything's gone back to normal, I think you're going to see us return to the same type of voting practices. I if we not. feel that way at the end, I, I hope not too, but. There had been studies for all of the um, elections uh, before, you know, this this time in history and uh, more people had the right to vote, but less people were voting uh, in every 
um, election um, for, you know, they had seen the decline uh, years over years. Uh, in I think we talked about it in another episode about when people won the right to vote versus um, who actually ended up voting. Um, but um, I, I think it will be interesting to watch. Um, I do have a couple more questions because I think we'll end up making this more than one episode. I think this will yeah. end up being two episodes, which yeah. is good. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of um, slogans that you see black people say. And I think it's really, really important that we, we talk about this point is that black people, um, especially black women mm -hmm. in, in, in this type of two voting um, election cycles, right? We're going to say for, for the Senate seats and for this presidential election. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times for Democrats in general, black, black women tend to carry uh, or come out in, in, in 90% numbers, right? To really vote um, for the candidates of their choice, which usually fall on the democratic side. Mm -hmm. So um, there are slogans that black people say in their sweatshirts for all of you guys who don't know that says we, we built this S, H-I-T for free. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is that slaves obviously were brought here and their labor was used um, to build <laughs> the White House, the Capitol building. I mean, I can keep going country. on, but most the country in general. And so they are sweatshirts that say we built this for free right. because it's basically saying that we, you promised us 40 acres and a mule, right? You promised us after slavery ended that we would get 40 acres and a mule as payment for what you did to kidnap us and bring us to this country. But for you never. Patience, yes. Yes. But you never, ever gave it to us. You never gave us any of it. So the question, Akil, is do you think that reparations under this administration will be considered? Okay, so <laughs> so I, um, you know, you and I go back and forth on this all the time, but I think that <clears throat> um, I think reparations is going to be a topic of discussion. I think it will be um, it, it will find its its uh, its way in and uh, in, in some kind of, um, you know, studies or preparation to to, you know, how it might be actually done. Um, do I think we'll get reparations in the next four years? No. Do I think that it's going to even come across the, uh, you know, cross as a bill um, that actually makes it past the House and into the uh, into the Senate? No. Um, so I, I'm I'm I would be happily and, and, and joyously surprised. But I think that there's such a discussion on what reparations is in 2021, as opposed to what you said. Right. So, I mean, if you think about it, um, after slavery, 40 acres and a mule would have taken um, that family a long way. Right. Uh, 40 acres is a, is a good little piece of land. Shit, I live on I live on like an acre or or, or I think point eight or something that my house is on an acre. And I couldn't imagine 40 acres. So, I mean, you know, looking looking at that time to, you know, for them to have gotten 40 acres and a mule to work that land um, and then their expertise, obviously, would have changed the whole dynamic of what, um, you know, uh, of our presence here in this country. And so um, so I think that that currently in 2021, um, although I think that 40 acres would be dope, 
I think that we have to look at, you know, reparations in a much broader sense. You know, is that mean, does that mean, um, uh, you know, free education, you know, all the way through a doctorate? Does that mean, you know, does that mean a check? I saw something in, in Oregon where there's a state legislator trying to push a bill where um, in Oregon, which, you know, if you don't know, was one of the most racist places in the country for many, many years. Matter of fact, blacks couldn't even come into Oregon at one point. Um, but he's trying to push one hundred forty three thousand, I think, annual check to to the black residents of Oregon. So, you know, there's there's all kind of different approaches, I think. And I think that, um, you know, where we'll run into stagnation or we'll run into barriers in this whole topic is how that's going to be, um, how it's going to be, be actually distributed if it is ever distributed. But we are, you know, and you know this, we are one of the, the only people that have not received any kind of reparations uh, in this country for the heinous acts that we have uh, had to endure throughout our history here. So, you know, the Jews have, have received reparations from Germany. The, you know, Japanese have been, received reparations from the United States. Other people have re- received reparations, even, you know, to a certain degree, um, Native Americans, which we know the, the, what they've received have not even scratched the surface of what they des- what they should be getting and deserve. But, you know, the bottom line is we're the only ones left off the table. And so uh, I think the subject needs to be there, but I don't feel like we will get there um, anytime soon because it's going to be such a polarizing uh, topic. So I, I believe that there should have been reparations years and years ago. And I feel, I believe the further that we've gotten away from reparations, the more likely that descendants of slaves in some way will, will receive left less than what they were due or, or, or whatnot. Also, I think we have another issue layered in there, which is the systemic racism that we've seen in policies that um, have been carried out in the United States over time, which made the, um, um, the disposition of wealth in this country, uh, you know, so wide, right? Um, which you can't make up for in whatever you give me now, right? You, you won't be able to make up for whatever that means to me. Um, also, uh, it, it would be mean dismantling, you know, credit systems and other things if you get deep into yeah. what the systemic racism means, because giving me a paycheck if you didn't teach me about economics properly it's just going to mean that i you know potentially and i'm not saying yeah. that accountability is not indiv- you know on the individual but but i do think that there it's a very deep subject because we've gotten so far away from the time in which they were probably due to people the other thing is and we've talked about this is that um, the eligibility right of who would be able to get represent uh, reparations at the time, this time, because our, our races have mixed so much um, mm-hmm. at this point, and the uh, the um, and I don't want to say it this way because one, you know, it's it's funny the one drop black rule. I, I think they wouldn't even allow it to apply now, even though it it applied when it worked in the favor right. of the ruling power to apply. I don't think they would think, well, you're one of Jock Black, now you get reparations. I think they'll say, well, you're going to have to prove that you're a certain percentage of Black. And I was saying to Akil, I'm a Black woman. I always claim to be a Black woman. 
But I did take 23andMe and it came out that I was 32% Black, which was very shocking. And I almost wanted to die because I look like a Black woman. Um, I represent as a Black woman. I am Black uh, in every essence of the word. But I would hate for them to say, well, you got to be 35% Black. And, you know, and I'm and I'm not 35% African-American. So uh, so I think it's questionable. I think all of the things they did to rape and pillage our ancestors and the reasons why we look so different um, also would come into play. And so should somebody be blamed for uh, the being the product of that, that raping. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it gets so complicated. That, yes. The discussion might be able to be had, but I don't know that we'll ever get to a real point. And I don't know that whatever could be given back would erase or even make it even what would have been uh, if if the promise of what we we should have gotten at the time it was it was supposed to be given would yeah. have been distributed. So same thing. I, I I see it the same way as you do. I just think you know it's it's a it's a promise deferred, and now it's really a promise that they're never re-looking at because they're trying to say that time is past, right? And right, so right. We don't have to we don't have to give on that promise, even though it's written into you know, le- legislation and, and documentation. Um, well, it's so, for, it's so important, though, that that, you know, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, voting and the importance of being involved and being aware and being knowledgeable and being educated on this whole um, not only this topic, but just politics in general. Um, you know, I mean, we have, you know, it, to your point that you just made, I think I heard Mitch McConnell say something about, you know, why do we need reparations or something to this effect? Don't quote me. It's not exactly, but he said something to the effect why do we need reparations? You know, you had your first black president, right? So he did that effect. And, and, you know, I don't want to, I, I'm not quoting, but I definitely, um, the sentiment was, you know, you guys have made progress. We've given you, you know, your first black president. You've done this and that and the other. So, you know, there's no more racism. There's no more need for reparations. There's no more need for these, you know, these things that you're asking for. And why are you asking for them? And so, you know, we need to get folks like him out of office. We need to get, you know, other folks that think like that out of office. Uh, Lindsey Graham and the whole group and, and you know, and usher in, you know, and not saying that that ushering in all black um you know, uh, elected officials, I'm saying just elected officials that see America for what it is and who it is and, and to, um, you know, and and to, to, to begin to move us all, uh, in the right direction. I mean, we've done some, some good podcasts on, you know, on, on where America is and, and, you know, the, the awakening and all that good stuff. And so, you know, hopefully that'll, that'll continue. Um, I just want to get it, get it on that Mitch McConnell situation because I wanted yeah. to look it up. All right. Um, so Mitch I'll McConnell's um, great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers, James McConnell and Richard Daly, owned a total of 14 slaves. All of them were women except for two. Oh, all but two were of them were female. Mm. Um, and then he said, I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago when none of us currently living are responsible is a good idea, he said mm-hmm. on June 18th, a day before the House reparations hearing. We've tried to deal with our original sin of slavery by fighting a civil war, war, 
by passing landmark civil rights legislation, and we've selected an African-American president. There it is. So I just want to be clear, like regardless of whatever percentage is running through my veins, the experience of being a black person in America, it's... I don't care one black president, 10 black presidents, 15 black presidents, the the um, trauma, as we talked about in another episode, right, right, of being black in America and having an unnecessary layer of fear because of treatment in America, because of the 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 um, the level of uh, responsibility you carry with just being successful in any way. I mean, I, I just don't think that if what his statement was is true, that everything is gone and there is no, um, there is no out, you know, other effects that we feel even today. And we all felt like everything was fair and good. We wouldn't see what we saw uh, go on this, this summer. And all of the killing of people this summer is just different now because it's being recorded. And so you're actually seeing them die in your face, yeah. but the Tamar Rice's and the, uh, the, the, um, the um, Sandra Bland's and the Trayvon Martins and the, all of those people, um, they, you know, they're representing many other people that we just didn't catch, you know, what's going, what, what exactly happened and how were they tied to, uh, and not to mention the, the martyrs, right. Of our civil rights generations that were shot and killed by people who didn't want them to have that kind of power or, or, influence but anyways that's this is a whole deep conversation so i don't want to get too far off but um the only other question that i have is can do you think we're going to be able to under this administration to get covid under control yes answer to that i think is yes um and i think i think it's it's about what is under control mean right so i mean are we talking about under control as far as um you know decreasing heavily the death rate are we talking about under control um, you know, the the transmission rate, are we talking under control restaurants and, and schools and everything opening up? What does under control mean? But what I what I think um, when you ask that question is that I think we're going to have a national approach. I think there's going to be a mandated approach across the board. Um, the new administration is talking about 100 million um, vaccinations in the first 100 days. Um, I don't know if that's possible, but I think that it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's very much what we need. Um, one thing that I thought and, and kind of gave me some confidence in that, you know, to your question, um, was that for the first time in, you know, I don't know how long Dr. Fauci got to speak clearly, thoroughly, not hold back, talk science, and, you know, and him and, and the people that are, are with him on his team um, to battle this are going to have an opportunity to really dig into the science and, and, and let the American people know what they need to be doing in order to get, get through it. So I think that um, I think that, you know, with a national plan and a, an aggressive uh, vaccination uh, distribution, I think that uh, it will get under control. Do I think it's going away? No. And do I think that we're going out of the woods? Oh, I mean, the flu didn't go away. Right. I mean, other part of, you know, we had we had um, Dr. Ebony Haynes tell us about SARS and some of the other things in our previous episode about vaccinations. And I think that, um, you know, I think that it's going to be on the list of 
things that we're going to have to be getting vaccinated for, you know, and, and, you know, until our bodies and our adaptation uh, kind of moves us forward and out of it. But, um, you know, I think that if, if we as a country and the people in the country start to do a lot of things that you said a million times and that you said on, on previous podcasts on, you know, on the topic, um, you know, then we'll actually get there. But I think at least we're going to see a, a level of leadership from uh, from the government since um, that that hopefully will, you know, get us closer to to that. OK, so should do you think that the Trump administration is going to get the blame for the handling of covid? Well, without a doubt, that's his legacy. His legacy is going to be is going to be um, heightening and 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 uh, the the whole awakening of white supremacy. And I shouldn't say awakening because they've always been here. But I think the the emboldened um, stance that they've taken over the last you know few years. And I think the second thing is going to be um, is absolutely going to be his handling of COVID and the fact that we have four hundred thousand people dead when. You know, although there would be, you know, even the best reaction and best response would have definitely had deaths, as we know. But, you know, I mean, the speculation can, is out there that we could be, you know, 200,000 less deaths right now if, you know, a couple weeks earlier they would have taken action or if there would have been a national plan. Um, but I think the Trump administration gets should get credit for no. their, their horrible handling of the COVID um, virus and there. And, and I think that they should get all the, the, everything that history um, gives them in that regard. Okay. But should they get credit for the vaccine? Cause it did come about under their administration and not under Biden's administration. I think if we're going to give them credit as far as a positive, a, 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 a gold star, it would have to be, it would have to be the fact that, um, that they did accelerate. I mean, we, we, we have a vaccine um, that happened in like 10 or 12 months or less mm-hmm. that, you know, we were hearing that it takes four years to do, to, to come up with, you know, to test and to have a vaccine ready for distribution. So, you know, that's one thing that I think warp speed was uh, you know, their whole warp speed thing was, was uh, that did work, but I don't think that that, that entirely came from the Trump administration. I think that that came from private industry. I think it came from Pfizer. It came from, you know, these, these, these companies that, that have told the told the world that, Oh, we didn't get any, this wasn't part of a warp speed. They didn't get involved. Well, Ger- well Pfizer's was from Germany. Right. So Germany helped fund so Pfizer. So the vaccines that we have to your question, and I guess the answer is you know they came from from Moderna didn't Moderna did it was part of warp speed all right yeah well so yes I do think that they're going to get some credit I think they 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 should and they will get some credit uh, for the acceleration of the vaccine becoming available um, the other question though to you is what was the you know what was the motivation for them to speed it that for it to go that fast. I don't think the motivation was we need to save lives. I think the motivation was we need to get this this uh, vaccine out before the election so I could be reelected. So so, there wasn't, so, so yes, so, get credit and then not get credit at the same time, I guess. I don't know. So for me, I've said before, 
I, 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 I'm not a fan of the way that that last administration behaved. I do think that he was a textbook narcissist. And I do think that anything he did was for the benefit of himself in some way, shape or form, including speeding up the vaccine. Now, do I think he did not care that the there there was this COVID problem in, in the United States? I think he did care because it did affect him as well. Yeah. He ended up getting COVID and he could have died from it, but for the fact he was the president of the United States and he was he was the treatment to him that was available isn't vastly available to the rest of the population, right? Whatever experimental, you know, what that they were willing to do. So but it but I do think prior to that moment, um, did he think that he could potentially get COVID and it would have benefited him for a vaccine to come out to protect himself as well? Yes. And I think his motivation, it was to get reelected, but I think his motivation always is to benefit himself. And if a COVID vaccine also benefited himself, he would want it to be produced even for his health. Right. So I think he, he, not his whole administration, but I think he in particular behaved in that way consistently throughout the whole four years. If you look back at examples, computations of sentences and things he did for Kim Kardashian uh, in her uh, legal uh, defense uh, arguments and those kind of things. But in the end, when he didn't see that it suited him anymore, he stopped uh, helping her, right? Get get people um, not to be executed, right? When Kanye entered the, the race right. and also... Um, there's some controversy as to whether or not they actually wanted him in office, right? That came out a little bit like whether or not they actually supported him as a president. And so they were very silent. They weren't willing to take a stance and they never said that they were Trump supporters, right? And so I think that he, his need for her was was no longer there, right? <laughs> so, so, so yes, I, I think, but I do think he should, they should get credit where credit's due. I've always said this with their administration. I don't think everything that came out of it self um, benefiting or not was bad. I do think some things did benefit people, the country and other people. And I'm not going to say that everything was bad. Do I think that it was done for the greater good? No. And I think the failure of the administration that disappoints me the most is the lack of concerned to get to disseminate the right information early enough so that people could have protected themselves because I don't believe that an administration is responsible for everybody but I do believe that they're responsible to give the truth when truth the truth is the difference between people's lives or or death and if they had talked about with an in concerted effort of what the things that we could have done which was in a playbook that they had right. in front of them masking it all right if they would have talked about that from the get-go, I, I agree with you. Much more lives would probably still be here. But I do think that people along this COVID journey, you've seen even the smartest people we know, even the people who wear masks, they got loose at some points in the COVID situation and they ended up uh, you know, contracting COVID, right? Because they took their mask down or they saw that friend or they did whatever, right? And that was you know, everybody has to take their own uh, accountability for that. That's right. Okay. So we've got to kind of wrap this up. So um, I think this has been a really good discussion. We have to break it up into two parts. Right. Uh, but what, what do you think at this point, what do you think other countries, we had lost a lot of 
respect in the um, international community. A lot of leaders were making jokes uh, about our um, government. Um, do you think that our reputation has now been restored? Um, I think it it's on its way to be restored. Um, I think that, you know, I think that the, the world has PTSD. I think to a certain degree. Uh, I have PTSD. I mean, I think the world and us. Yeah. Most, I mean, people who, you know, um, weren't part of kind of the, the uh, you know, I would call, you know, the Trump train. Um, I think that we have PTSD and I think that the world does. Um, you know, if you, there were, there were alliances that were hundred year alliances that got broken. There were, you know, there were, were definite pieces of uh, kind of, uh, just just practice that the United States has always been uh, good, bad and ugly, uh, always been kind of the spokesperson for or the, you know, the the the, the lead on. Um, we fell off on all of that, you know, and and I think that Obama had um, prior to Trump and raised our, you know, after Bush and the whole, you know, debacle with mass destruction, uh, weapons of mass destruction that never were there and the, and all of that kind of stuff. I think Obama did a lot to bring, uh, a certain goodwill from the United States to the world. Um, and we saw it across the planet and Trump crushed all of that. He did everything he could to, uh, you know, to tear down anything that Obama did. And also, um, you know, he was on some, you know, America only America, this and America that, and we we're a part of a global community. And so, um, so I think that, I think that the, there was a sigh of relief across the world. Um, I think that there is, um, that I think that they were on a countdown. I think they were like, okay, we got one more month left. We got two more weeks left. We got, you know, and, and counting it down to the new administration. Um, because a lot of them know Biden also, because obviously, as you mentioned before, he was vice president for eight years. So, um, and then he was a senator, you know, on international things and foreign relations and all that kind of stuff, you know, for many years before that. So I think that they are looking to see some kind of leveling out. And I think that they're, uh, they're looking forward to, to seeing what happens, but I do think that they're kind of, I think the world was surprised that America turned into what it did um, over the last four years and where they thought everything was, you know, peaches and cream here. They're like, Oh, you know, there's real yeah. stuff going on. All, our, there. all yeah. our dirty laundry. All, the, all, all the dirty laundry. I'm so glad you put it that way because that's exactly what happened. All the stained, dirty laundry that could possibly come out um, came out in the last four years. And and I think that people were taken aback like, wow, that's that's the, you know, shining house on the hill. You know, that's the, you know, you know, so. so They became haters. You know, they they. They were haters. Yeah. So I think that they were, I think, yeah, I think that they, you know, rightfully so were like, oh, it was a, it, that's the hoax. You know, so, um, so I think that now they're, they're, you know, things are going to settle back down. I think that there's going to be a whole, you know, international, um, you know, and foreign relations campaign that's going to kind of start to smooth things out. I think that the lady who, um, you know, we mentioned that are, that's going to be the, uh, ambassador to the UN will come with strength and also 
you know, bridge some of those um, some of those burnt bridges that, you know, may have happened. And, you know, and I think we'll take a, a leading role again in a lot of ways. But I think that the Band-Aid was ripped off and I think the world saw that America is, you know, is, um, you know, it is. And, and that, you know, that we will, um, you know, continue to overcome um, our challenges and, and still um, take our rightful place, but that we're not perfect. And that this is, you know, and that the reality that they face in a lot of places um, is the same reality that we face. And so, um, I think that there was a whole kind of movement of solidarity. We saw it with the George Floyd thing. We saw it with the, you know, other things that happened all the way around the world. And so I think the leaders of other countries won't be clowning Biden like they were clowning Trump. I think that there will be some, uh, you know, I think there'll be some good work being done. So we'll we'll have to see. You mean he's not going to push people off the way so he could be in the front for a picture? Exactly. I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. Um, as a matter of fact, they may they may present him forward they may say hey you go ahead and take the take this oh, no. they might put him to the right this this year maybe next year he'll get more to the center yeah. again but well you know they should just do like like we all do when we take our family photos put all the short people up front and put the tall people in. rude so rude <laughs> anyways okay so i'm you know looking forward to just the decency, I think we, we mentioned in the beginning, the re- tar- turning to some normalcy. Yeah. Um, the, the being respected internationally and back on that kind of track. Um, what I am not looking forward to is trying to figure out um, what in the bleep is still going on in America and really trying to figure out and to get in the head of. You know, I, and I know Trevor Noah and some of the things he shows on, like he picked, they picked the worst possible examples of people at Trump rallies to right. ask questions to. Oh, and it makes it seem like the divide between uh, rational thought and logic and, and truth and the person that they choose to interview is like so far that I don't know if getting in their heads is even worth it, right? To figuring out what we're going to do to bridge the gap. But I definitely am looking forward to politicians understanding that uh, people are fed up and people are feeling hopeless in ways and people are tired. I think part of the way that Trump got in is that people are tired of the of some of the bureaucracy, right? People are tired of some of the ways that we had been conducting ourselves in the past and just business as usual isn't going to work, we've all we've got to move along with the times um, and not hold on so much to everything that didn't work before just because you have it in in place, right? You've got to figure out how do we really address what's going on here. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I'm looking forward to finding out. And I'm glad that's going to happen. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you 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 mentioned um, kind of that point because um, you know we want to be clear that there are incredibly intelligent, incredibly brilliant people on all sides. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that that it's funny that you brought up the the Trevor Noah uh, interviews at the Trump rallies because, yeah, they, they interviewed the people that that, you know, were the most ignorant, that had the least amount of information. And it was and it was great for entertainment. But, you know, the bottom line is that there are some incredibly intelligent people that also believe in him and believe in his in his mission, just like on our end, you know, and and, and if you if you've ever watched 
um, you know, some of these other news channels that interview the most ignorant, you know, minority they can find in a in a situation or, you know, after a, after an event happened. Um, so it's the same kind of thing. But let's not sleep on the fact that there are, you know, really intelligent, really purposeful people on all sides. And if we can uh, if we can come to some kind of agreement that, uh, like I said, if it's not left and right, if it's not uh, Democratic and Republican, if it's not uh, donkey and elephant, if it's not, you know, all these kind of sets and gangs that, that are, are, that, you know, are being, called, <laughs> sets uh, and gangs? Yeah, okay. that, that, um, that, you know, we kind of head towards closer to, or head towards, um, what's right and what's wrong and what's better for, uh, the greater good, as you mentioned earlier, then I think that we'll, we'll make the progress that we're hoping to make at least in the, you know, in increments over the next four years. Okay, people, stop set tripping. Yeah. Okay, stop throwing up the gang signs. Yeah. Cueing on and, and tea party and all the wackadoodles. Oh, come on. Like, let's just put it all down. Let's start to be logical. Okay. Yeah. The Coach and Code Podcast. Thank you for joining us. See you. You're awesome. Looking forward to the next one. Peace. Peace. Bust, 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 bust,